Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Mercury, a broadcast of hope. I'm Max O'Brien here with Agnes Drew and Dr. Rosalind Clark on day 733 since we came back on the air. If you were listening yesterday, you know that we're on day three now of finishing a letter that was traded to us through our Stories for Stories program by a doctor who travels around helping those in need. Some of you may have even been helped by her yourselves. She was a general practitioner with some surgical experience who also worked out in the fields in various developing countries. It sounds like she has as good of a background as one could hope for going into a zombie apocalypse, honestly. Enough general experience to be able to treat a wide variety of illnesses and injuries, and the skill to perform delicate operations if needed. In time spent in rural situations where you may not have had every luxury, resource, or tool you would ideally need to treat someone. Agnes has been reading the letter, and we're hoping to get through the rest of it today. Yep, we're almost through it, and it's been reading like an adventure novel to me, so I'm excited to hear the rest of it. Shall we? Take it away, Agnes. Okay. When the outbreak hit, I was in the airport, about to return home from Zambia. You all remember there was so much confusion, everyone doubting that such an impossible and bizarre thing could be happening, but having to face the insane reality of zombies in our midst. I'd had a boyfriend at the time. We were so in love. He was a logistics coordinator for the medical group I was volunteering with, and we were usually able to sync up our work to be together in the field. He always had to stay on site longer than I did to clean up and wrap up operations once we had finished treating patients, so he was still in the rural village we'd been working in when I left. When the infrastructure of the airport started falling apart, I tried to figure out if I could get back to him, but there was such chaos, I didn't even know if he knew what was going on, or if the village was also being hit with the outbreak. I hoped that maybe it was just large cities, which in retrospect is a weird thing to hope for, since they were the places being reported on the news. I tried calling him, but there wasn't enough coverage where he was out in the desert. I didn't know whether to get on my plane and go home, or to go back and try to find him. It was an awful decision, but at the last minute, I got on the plane thinking that my family was in greater danger since they were on the outskirts of a city. As soon as we landed, I pulled out my phone to try calling him again. There was a voicemail from him. Somehow he'd gotten himself to the internet cafe in a nearby town and managed to make one last phone call. Agnes, are you okay? I, I, I don't know. It's just so similar to what happened to to Sam and I. I read this before we went on the air today. I thought I got it all out of my system. Do you want me to take over reading? I don't know. I'm sorry. I should be able to handle this. It's been a long time now. There's no right or wrong when it comes to grief. Everyone is different. However your feeling is right for you... But if you want one of us to take over, we can definitely do that. I think... I think I'd like to finish what I started. Okay. Let us know if that changes. We're here for you. Thank you. That means a lot. The background noise was pretty awful. I knew instantly that the area had been hit by the outbreak, too. 
Dmitri's voice was coming through pretty well, even with the rough coverage, and he told me that he and some of his team were going to take all of the leftover supplies they'd been preparing to ship to the UK for processing and redistribution and go into the desert with them to try to get away from large populations of people. It's so like him to have been thinking about his team before himself. And I know he would have wanted so much to get them to safety. He always felt so responsible for everyone. For me, for anyone in his care. He said that he knew of an outpost only a few days' journey away that he thought they could camp in for a few weeks to wait out the chaos. He said that he wanted so desperately to get to me but that every single functional vehicle and riding animal had been stolen while he and his team had been trying to help those inflicted. Before he'd realized that there was no helping the bitten. The airport was hundreds of miles away, so there was no way to make it without a ride. He said that he was panicking, worrying about me in a crowded place like that, and it was driving him insane to not be able to get to me. So I had to be selfish and get myself to safety for him. He told me to do whatever I could to get myself home and that we both had to make promises to each other to keep ourselves safe so that we could find each other again someday. I've carried that in my heart these past years, knowing it may never happen but hoping anyway. I kept his voicemail and played it over and over again for months just to just to hear his voice. My plane was one of the last to land successfully ever. I got to my family as quickly as I could, but by the time I made it to my parents' house, everyone had fled. Things were packed. And the house was empty, and that gave me hope. My younger siblings' rooms were empty, and it was in my little brother's room that I finally began to process everything and had a meltdown. I'd been going on adrenaline, country hopping and dodging the undead, using every spy skill in my possession to get myself there. Then I'd walked upstairs and saw his stuffed, R2-D2 on his bed. That toy was his prized possession, a reward for being brave when he'd had to have surgery on his broken arm a few years before. I knew that he would have wanted to bring that with him so badly and that it would have taken a lot of courage for him to leave without it. But he'd done it. I just lost it. I don't cry much, but I knelt down on the floor of his bedroom and cried my heart out. When I'd cried myself dry, I looked up at R2 again and instead suddenly felt a small seed of hope. My little brother had walked away without his favorite toy because he is brave. My whole family is brave and strong and resourceful. They're also together, and that's another source of strength. 
I'm sad knowing that they must think I'm dead. But I also believe that they made it. And I hope against hope that I'll see them again one day too. As a doctor, I know how to keep my emotions in check. Sympathy and sadness don't help stem open wounds, so emotions aren't where I invest my time and energy. Mercury has made me feel a little more open and vulnerable than I have since, oh, I don't know, probably my undergrad years. But here's the funny thing. I don't see it as a weakness anymore, not in the world in which we now live. Now there are too few of us experiencing normal, living human lives for me to not fully experience mine and the full range of it. I want to feel happy, sad, angry, those moments of peace we still get sometimes, lost, purposeful. All of it reminds me that I can still feel it all. I have not been robbed of my sentience, of my sentiments, as so many have. How selfish it would be to deny the full spectrum of my mind when I still have a mind. But all that said, I still have to keep moving. It's in my blood, in my nature. I can't rest or stay still when I think of all the folks ahead that still need mending. So my friendships are short and sweet. And I'm eternally grateful for the trio of optimistic survivors that travel in my bag and remind me that not only is it okay to feel and okay to love, but that it's necessary. It's what defines us now and it keeps us the living, breathing, emotional creatures that we're meant to be. Thanks for listening to A Rugged, Rough Doctor on the Go. And I would like to echo Mercury's constant reminder because I think it too, every time I see a broken leg or a pale, flu-stricken face. Now, perhaps more than ever in our history, we must take care of each other. Well, she is definitely as cool or cooler than I was imagining her in my head. I'm so glad. I have a lot of respect for her too. It's nice to know that there's one more caring person making their way around and making the world a better place. It is. And it's a reminder that no matter how much or how little we think we have, we can always extend kindness and help someone else in need. And we have run way long for today, but I think it was worth it. We gave the self-named Connie a copy of The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer in exchange for her story. Be safe out there. And as our new doctor friend agrees, take care of each other. <laughs>